for that. Uh, Luke Chapman, um, we're just going to work our way through this weird path, talking about signs and Jonah and lights and lamps. It's kind of a weird one. And if you've ever watched the, the TV show The West Wing, um, I have some very dated references this morning. The West Wing and Thundercats. Most of you are like, what the heck are those things? But anyway, I'm old, so... Uh, if you ever watched TV show The West Wing, you might remember uh, there's one episode and there's a scene where the president, who's a devout Roman Catholic, he, he calls for his childhood priest to come into the Oval Office because um, he, he's struggling he, he, to make a decision. It's a difficult decision to make about whether to execute someone, basically, or not. And he spends the whole episode looking for signs as to what he should do. And as he talks to the priest about it, the old priest tells him the story of the man who lived by the river. So there was a man who lived by a river. And he heard a radio report that the river was going to rush up and flood the town. And all the residents should evacuate their homes. But the man said, well, I'm religious. I pray. God loves me. God will save me. And the, the waters rose up. And a guy in a rowing boat came along. And he shouted, hey, hey, you in there. The town is flooding. Let me take you to safety. But the man shouted back, no, no, I'm religious. I pray. God loves me. God will save me. And eventually the water kept rising until the man... <laughs> And a helicopter was hovering overhead, and a guy with a, a megaphone shouted out, Hey, hey, you down there, the town is flooding. Let me drop this ladder and lift you to safety. But the man shouted back that he was religious, that, that he prayed, and that God loved him, and that God would take him to safety. So the man drowned. And standing at the gates of heaven, uh, he, he, he said to St. Peter, I demand an audience with God. And he said, Lord, I'm a religious man. I prayed. I thought you loved me. Why did this happen? And God said to him, I sent you a radio report, a boat, and a helicopter. What the heck are you doing here? And it's kind of a silly story. But the point is that the man in the story, is that the story gives us a warning. You see, the flood is coming. Nothing can stop that. But instead of seeing the signs and, and receiving the salvation that the God has sent his way, the man chooses to rely on his own religiousness, right? He is sure that because he prays and because he's religious that God will save him. And because of his faith in his own religion, his own religiousness, he misses entirely the three opportunities to be saved that God sends him. And the warning of the story is, don't miss the signs that point us towards salvation, and this is kind of what Jesus is talking about in, 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 our, pas in our passage this morning. He has a very similar message. Throughout his ministry, he's been performing miracles. He's been preaching about this thing called the kingdom of God that has come. And he's, he's telling the people they need to repent and, and turn to God. And through healings and casting out demons and all these things, everything he has been doing has been pointed towards the fact that he is the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. That judgment is coming. And some people have believed in him and want to follow him, but still there are many who, even though they have seen all the signs, they, they, they don't believe in him. Seeing is believing, they say, but apparently that's not always the case, is it? It's possible to have all the evidence right in front of you and still miss the truth, isn't it? It's possible to be sitting on the roof of your house and not receive the salvation on offer. This is a passage of, of signs and warnings. And the warning is to not miss the signs. You see, like the, the town that is flooding, there is judgment coming, Jesus says, and, and there is an offer of salvation, and we must accept it. I have, I have one really simple question that I want us all to take away this morning. It's this. Do we see Jesus? Do we see Jesus? 
Look at verse 29 with me. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign. <laughs> See, I don't know if you remember, but, but back in verse 16 of the same chapter, Luke tells us that the crowd was there to test him, and, and they kept seeking from him a sign, a sign from heaven. In other words, they, they kept saying, Jesus, give us another miracle here. And now in, in verse 29, the crowd is actually growing because more and more people are hearing what he's doing and they're coming to see more, more cool stuff. They want to see Jesus do more miracles. And as this crowd is growing, Jesus says to them, this generation is an evil generation. Now, this is not the way to win friends and influence people. If I were trying to start a, an international global movement like Jesus, these are not the words I would choose. But Jesus isn't interested in that. Out of love, he, he, he wants the, the people to hear the truth. The people were coming to him looking for a show, another miracle. They, they just wanted to be entertained. They, they, wanted, they wanted Jesus to prove himself to them. And Jesus calls them evil because they are a generation of sign seekers. They weren't genuinely searching for the kingdom of God. If they had been searching for the kingdom of God genuinely, they would have seen who Jesus is. They didn't really want to see Jesus as the Son of God. They wanted to test Him. They were filled with an ongoing desire to make Jesus prove Himself to them. Jesus, just, just give us one more trick. Come on, and then I'll believe in you. Give, give me one more miracle, and then I'll know that you're real. And, and how often do we do the same thing? Jesus, just give me this thing that, that, that I really want, and then I'll know that you love me. Or have you ever done something like this? Jesus, just get me out of this speeding ticket, and then I promise I'll follow you. Do you ever do that? Jesus, just do this thing for me, and then I'll be yours. But Jesus makes it clear. He says it's evil. In fact, the word that he uses for evil in the original language is, is actually, it's, it's a title for Satan himself, the evil one. And so he's saying it's actually the opposite of God. It's actually, it's actually Satan-like to make God prove himself to us. And so Jesus says, listen, the only sign you need, can you guys hear that creaking? Is that distracting? Should I move? It's really annoying me. Is that better? All right, we need to get that fixed. Jesus says, you're looking to, for a sign, you're looking for the show, but the only sign you need is the sign of Jonah. And as we ask ourselves this question this morning, do we see Jesus? I've got three simple points, and the first one is this. See Jesus, the greater oh. prophet. See Jesus, the greater prophet. Look at verse 30 with me if you have your Bible still open. I think it's on the screen as well. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. What's he talking about? Well, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament times, and he was called by God to go to Nineveh, which was this city in, in what is now Syria, right? And they were a, a, the, the, a truly, truly evil and depraved people. They, they, they were violent uh, they were depraved, they, they, they were oppressive. It truly was an awful, awful place. You kind of have to think of, of like ISIS, right? In, in <laughs> and because of who they were, Jonah didn't want them to hear of God's mercy. Jonah said they don't deserve it. And so instead of going and doing what God told them to do, God, or Jonah gets on a boat going in the opposite direction, away from Nineveh. 
but you can't run from God, and so God sent a big storm, and, and the ship is in danger of sinking and, and, and being wrecked in this storm. And, and Jonah realizes, I'm the one who's causing this storm. It's because of my disobedience. And so he has the sailors to throw him overboard, and the storm stops. But God is merciful, and he loves Jonah, and, and he has a salvation plan, and he has work for him to do, even though he's disobedient to him. And so he sends a big fish along to come and eat Jonah. And Jonah ends up in the belly of this big fish for three days and nights, and then the fish spits him up on the beach. And so Jonah realizes that you can't disobey God, and if you run away from God, you're going to be swallowed by a fish. And so he goes to Nineveh and preaches the message and tells them that God is going to send his judgment if they don't turn from their evil ways. And the amazing thing happens. The people of Nineveh repent. They hear the word of God and they respond to it. They hear the prophet and they respond and turn to God. So the people of Nineveh are going to be assigned to this evil generation. How? Well, Jonah's preaching was a sign that God's judgment was coming. And the people believe. <laughs> tells us this. Word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is a sign of mourning, a sign of repentance. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. That's some serious fasting. Like even your cows are not allowed to eat. Let them not feed or drink water, but let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's some serious repentance, isn't it? He understood the warning and he had the whole city turn away from their sin and they avoided judgment. God heard, or they heard and received the word of God, and God relented and spared them. But now look at verse 32 in Luke chapter 11. It says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repent of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus is saying something better, something more complete than Jonah is here. So the people of Nineveh heard Jonah's message, they believed him and they repented, and now something even greater than Jonah has come. And so you better hear and repent, receive the word of God and believe. Jesus is saying, if, if Nineveh re received and believed the words of a half-hearted prophet who didn't even want to be there, how much more should we receive and believe Jesus? The sign of Jonah is that he came out of the belly of the fish after three days and nights, and by believing his word, the people are saved. The sign of Jonah is the testimony of the risen prophet. J Jesus is the greater prophet. He's the better Jonah. Jonah ran away from people who were in danger of God's judgment, but Jesus ran towards the people and endured God's judgment on their behalf. Jonah came out of the belly of the fish after three days and nights, but Jesus rose from the sealed tomb after three days and nights. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Do you see Jesus? If wicked Nineveh listened to Jonah, how much more should everybody pay attention to, to the one who is greater than him? Not some unwilling prophet, but the very... <laughs>
people of Nineveh repented, they turned from their evil and wickedness, embraced Jehovah and followed him. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Luke uses this, this word, greater than. It's literally more than. It, it's, it, 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 in the, the tense that he's using it in, it's emphasizing this ministry of the prophet. And, and Jonah was a great prophet, but Jesus said, one more complete prophet is here. Why are you looking for more signs when the sign is here? Jonah preached the word of God to Nineveh. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jonah brought a message, but Jonah preached salvation to those who repent. Jesus is salvation to those who repent. Jonah hated Nineveh because he knew how wicked they were. But Jesus, Jesus loves us even though he knows just how wicked we are. Jesus is the greater prophet, do you see? And this is one of the parts of the gospel that that continually blows me away. That Jesus loves you even though he knows everything about you, right? No one knows more about my heart than me. And I can't believe that knowing everything I know about me, that God would still love me, that Jesus would still love me. And I'm pretty sure if you knew all, if you all knew everything about my heart, you wouldn't want to love me. But the amazing thing about the greater prophet Jesus is that he knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. And the salvation that he offers is available to everyone who repents and believes. And, and, and sometimes we're just like the people of the evil generation asking for more signs. Just one more sign and then, and then I'll fully believe that Jesus loves me. Just one more sign and I'll accept that Jesus really is for me. We keep asking him, Jesus, do you really love me? We keep looking for signs and we miss the sign. Jesus, the word of God made flesh, knowing everything about <laughs> Through the judgment of God, he died so that we don't have to. He spent three days and nights, not in the belly of a fish, but in the belly of the earth. And then he rose again in victory. And still we question, Jesus, do you love me? I doubt it every day. Jesus, do you really love me? And he says, see the signs, the sign of Jonah. Do you see Jesus? He's the greater prophet. But secondly then, as we ask the question, do we see Jesus? We need to see Jesus, the greater king. Look at verse 31. I've kind of skipped over 31, but I'm coming back to it now. And it says this, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment. Um, came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I don't know, there's something about, I don't know if you ever listened to the, um, the, the football scores on BBC Five Live and they read out the reports. Queen of the South is one of the teams, I don't know, some league in England somewhere. Anyway, it always makes me think of that, the Queen of the South. Uh, that's just a little thing from my life that's weird about me. Um, but this is another example that the people listening to Jesus, they would have known all about this. They would have been very familiar with. You see, the Queen of the South is referencing the Queen of Sheba, right? And when Solomon, David's son, was king of Israel, he was blessed with incredible wealth an incredible wisdom. There was not another king like Solomon in the whole world. And the queen of Sheba, which is in modern day Yemen, probably about 1,200 miles south of Jerusalem, she heard of his glory, his majesty, his wisdom, his wealth. And when she heard of this, she leaves her own throne and travels over a thousand miles to come and see for herself. 
She wants to behold his majesty. She wants to, to see his, or to hear his wisdom. You, you see what's happening here? She hears of, of something worth pursuing. Wisdom and majesty. And she travels all this way because it's worth so much to her. She wants to know if, if all that she had heard was true. And so she comes to his house. She tours the house and she asks him questions. She, she, she sees his garden. She, she sees all his wealth and, and, and he, she hears his wisdom spoken over her. And listen to how she responds. This is in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. The queen of Sheba says this. She says, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the report. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. She heard of this, this greatness and she left everything to come and find it for herself. And when she came, she explored and asked questions. And after all of this, she declared that her expectations had been too low. She begins to praise the God of Israel. The God whom Solomon spoke of was worthy of praise. And she did all this to see the glory of a man, to hear the wisdom of a man. But Jesus says in verse 31, something greater than Solomon is here. See, Solomon was wise. He wrote the book of Proverbs. And then he, he was glorious. He, he was wealthy beyond imagination. But Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is glory. Solomon was a king, but Jesus is the king of kings. Solomon spoke words that made people marvel, but, but Jesus speaks words that give people life. The word of his power. His powerful word. Solomon, as the king, executed righteousness and justice, but Jesus is the very incarnation of justice, the very standard of justice, the very standard of righteousness. Solomon was great, but Jesus is greater. Solomon was the most wealthy king in all the world, but Jesus created all things. Solomon was the wisest man in the whole world, but Jesus is wisdom. What 1 Corinthians 1.24 says that Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. Think of all the power and wisdom that Solomon possessed. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. More than that, Jesus is the sovereign king. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of Jesus and describes him riding on a white war horse, leading out the armies of heaven, and on his robe and on his thigh are written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do we see Jesus? And Jesus' point is this. This pagan Gentile queen traveled over a thousand miles to get a glimpse of the wisdom and glory of Solomon. But we have Jesus standing right in front of us far greater than Solomon, and we're in danger of missing him. And sometimes I, I wonder how close we can be to Jesus without fully receiving him. We can be in 
proximity to Jesus and still doubt him, still question his word, still wonder if he really loves us, still doubt his faithfulness, still reject the parts of his word that, that we don't like. It's totally possible to be in proximity to Jesus and still miss him. Because in, in everything that Jesus is talking about here, there's, a, there's an undercurrent that we can't afford to miss. Notice in verse 31 and 32, two things. Resurrection is real and judgment is real. See, see we can easily relegate these people, Jonah and, 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 and Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, we can relegate them to, to stories like, it's just, it's just from a long time ago, maybe it's not real, it doesn't seem real, but not for Jesus. Jesus says that the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment, that the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. You see, there is coming a day when the Bible tells us that death and everybody will come before the final judgment. This is real and it's coming. Listen to this in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. That's some scary presence. <laughs> if earth and sky are fleeing away from it, no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what, what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, this is not something we like to think about. It's not something we like to talk about, but it's right here in what Jesus is saying. So I would be doing you a massive disservice and being disobedient to him if I didn't talk about it. The judgment is real. And either we will face the wrath of God in the lake of fire, or our names will be written in the book of life. Jesus. And so the question is, do, do, we, do we give thought? Do we give thought to what comes after this? Do we really think about it? Like that, do we think about the fact that all of history is moving towards one end, one moment, when we will all stand before Almighty God? Because we get tricked into thinking that life is, is just kind of ticking over, you know? Days go by, and, and work happens, and family happens, and friends happen, and, but, uh, and, and, and we get tricked into thinking that's all there is. It's kind of like we're, we're actors on a movie set, Right? And you get so engrossed into this role you're playing that you think that this fake <laughs> But the truth is that there's another truer reality outside the movie set. And one day that the movie set is going to fall down and we'll see what's on the outside. And we need to prepare for that. And Jesus is saying, please don't miss the signs. Don't miss the signs. Don't miss what I'm showing you. Don't be like the guy sitting on the roof of his house who, who let the boat and the helicopter pass by. Be like the people of Nineveh. Heed the words of warning. Be like the queen of the south. Pursue the true king. This is what Jesus says. It means when he says they will rise up and condemn this generation. They, they will be saying, how could you have missed this? We had the, the, the pointers to Jesus, but you have Jesus. Don't miss it. Receive him. You have the greater prophet. You have the greater king. Think about how the Queen of Sheba would judge our generation. What would she say to us? Because how, how often are our lives shaped by pursuing our, our own wisdom, 
our own way of thinking about the world, rather than, than doing everything we can like she did to lay hold of and strive for and pursue the wisdom of God. Tomorrow morning, most of us will get up, get ourselves ready and head out to work. And before we even get on our bike or in the car or on the bus or whatever we do, our heads will be full of the decisions we have to make that day, what I have to get done. And the wisdom... <laughs> Think about how the men of Nineveh would judge our generation. What would they say to us? How would they plead with us? See, we, we have access to the one who is the greater prophet, the one who isn't just the prophet of God, but is the very word of God made flesh. And yet, how often do we not have time for or energy for or inclination towards actually opening his word and receiving from him? And yet, on the other hand, we have so much time for, and I'm preaching myself, the prophets of Instagram and TikTok and Netflix. Those prophets we give so much time to, right? We fill our minds with scraps of junk food when we could be just feasting on, on the, the, the choicest meats and, uh, with a Michelin star chef and, and the best wines you can imagine. Uh, this week was our wedding anniversary and we were laughing about something we do every... We, we, we have a memory from our wedding that we laugh about every year. Um, so the morning after our wedding, we're in the honeymoon suite and the phone rings out of the bed, it's the reception, they're like, hey, oh, you know, Mr. Elder, would you like us to, you know, bring up some breakfast? We're like, it's great. Now, this is a nice place, so we could have had some nice breakfast. And for some reason, without thinking about it, I said, oh, yeah, it'd be great, we'll have some uh, cornflakes and tea. Cornflakes and tea? Like, it's the morning after our wedding. We could have had eggs benedict, smoked salmon on wheat and bread, or I don't know, all these fancy things. We could have anything we wanted. And I went for cornflakes and tea. I don't even like cornflakes, I'll be honest with you. I don't know why I did it. And usually I have coffee, not even tea. But this is what we do with Jesus, isn't it? The, the, the greater prophet is here. The greater king is here. And we, we, we actually just ignore that and gorge ourselves on worthless things that aren't anywhere near as good. And all the while, Jesus is standing there saying, please, see the signs. But do we see Jesus? See Jesus. <laughs> See, Jesus, the greater king, the king of kings who, who, who will judge everyone in perfect wisdom, allow his wisdom to lead and guide our lives. And finally then, as we ask ourselves, do we see Jesus? I want to I encourage us to see Jesus, the light of the world. This is our little last section here, verses 33 to 36. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts on in a cellar or under a basket, but out on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, maybe you're reading this and you're thinking, well, Jesus is shifting gear here or he's mixing his metaphors, but I don't think so. You see, he's still talking about seeing, isn't he? Firstly, he was talking about signs. And now he's talking about light. And you, you can't see signs without light, <laughs> okay? You know, those, you know the, I don't know if you still get them, but on road signs, you used to have like wee lights over the top of them. Remember you used to get those? Maybe you still don't get them anymore. Think about what Jesus has just said. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. The wisdom of God in the King of Kings is here. The Word of God is here in the resurrected Messiah. And so the question, Jesus, as he kind of wants to bring them to a point of decision, he's saying, do we see him for who he is? 
Do we see the compelling wonder and sheer brilliance and majesty and, and beauty of Jesus so that it becomes the light and joy of our lives? The thing by which we see the rest of life. First, we had two signs, and, and now Jesus gives us two lamps. <laughs> you put it in the middle of the house. So in those days, most people, obviously no electricity, um, but most people lived in a one-room house, right? And so you, in the evening, you would light the lamp, and you would put it on a lamp stand or up on a table in the middle of the house. In, like in this room, it would be right there in the middle, so that it gives the most light to everyone in the house. It would be foolish, Jesus says, to put it in the basement or to hide it under a basket. Otherwise, the house would just be in darkness. And Jesus is saying, listen, see the signs. I have set a lamp in the whole world so that no one has to be in darkness anymore. You don't have to be in darkness. And that lamp is the lamp of the greater... The, the, the resurrected Word of God. The lamp is His complete wisdom of the King of Kings. In other words, the light by which we all see Jesus is Jesus Himself. Jesus says in John chapter 8, is that Jesus ringing right now? <laughs> um, Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, he is the lamp. He's the one who's set in the middle of the world so that by him all the world will see. And we can't afford to hide him or ignore him or cover him up. In other words, do we see I don't know, but sometimes... I don't know if you ever feel like maybe you're scrambling about in the darkness. Maybe you feel like you lack direction or clarity. Maybe you've been trying to make decisions and, and, and you, you feel like you can't really see. Well, I wonder, could it be that the reason we often feel this way is because we've covered up the light of the world? The second lamp that Jesus mentions in verse 34 is the lamp of your body, the eye. Now, when I was a kid... Uh, I had a, a Thundercats action figure. Mention Thundercats already. If you don't know what it is, look it up. 80s cartoon. Very cool. Um, and I had a wee action figure, and you pull this thing, and his, he, he went like this. Like, Please light up. Right. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying your eyes actually light up. Jesus is saying that the eye is a lamp in the sense that it's by our eyes that we see. So just by the light of the sun coming in the window right now, we see this room. It's by our eyes that we see. Now, if we're looking at darkness, right? If we're looking at darkness, what do we see? Nothing. You see darkness. But when we look in the light, we can see clearly. And when we see Jesus for who he is, we will see the light of his greatness. Like eye problem, then we can't see clearly. In other words, if, if we see Jesus for who he really is, then we will be full of light, right? If we're looking at Jesus, the, he is the light, then we will be full of light. But if we don't, we'll be full of darkness. And if we're beholding the light of Christ, the true light, then we can see the world for what it is. This means that we can see money and sex and relationships and work and all things through the right lens, through the light, through, in complete clarity. So that we can see all of light, all of life in the light of eternity to come. Light 
uh, uh, when we're not looking at the light of the world, our, our vision becomes cloudy, right? And we begin to see bad things as good. So maybe self-centeredness will seem like it's okay because it's self-care. Or, or, or maybe non-thankfulness will be okay because, well, we know we deserve better. Or maybe lust will be okay because I'm lonely and I, I, I need fulfillment. And this is why Jesus gives us the warning in verse 35. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What he's talking about is that there's so much that passes for light but isn't really light. There are many bright things in the world that that keep us from seeing the true light of Christ. Just like city lights prevent us from seeing the stars. When you're in the city, you're surrounded by lights, and they're bright and they're beautiful. I've been to some beautiful cities, and the lights are amazing. But that's nothing compared with standing in the middle of nowhere on a clear night and looking up and seeing the awesomeness of the heavens, right? It just doesn't compare. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful what light we are seeing. Be careful that, of, of the bright things that, that seem attractive and compelling. Because if it's not Jesus, even though it seems like light and truth and goodness that we want to follow, it's like that cartoon, maybe one of the Pixar things where like the lights, the, the, the bug sees the light and he's flying towards it and his friend's like, don't do it. And he's like, but the light, but it turns out to be like a bug zapper. You see that? That's what we do with the other lights that we, they're compelling, they're good, but they're actually darkness. John Piper said, I, I thought this was brilliant. He says, candles seem bright until the sun comes out. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like if, this, if it was nighttime right now and everyone's turned off, those candles would look so bright. But right now, they don't look so bright in light of the sun. Jesus is the glory we were made to see. Only his light can, can fill us and give meaning to every part of our lives. And the, the amazing thing is, and this is where we're done, Jesus ends this by, by saying that it, it, once we see him and once we're filled with his, life, his light, then, then we ourselves like shine and give off the rays of Christ. Verse 36, if, if your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Isn't that cool? That when we're filled with the light of Jesus, when we're looking at him, when we see Jesus, when we receive him, then, then his light pours out of us. And the light in the middle of the room so that everyone else can see. So do we see Jesus? Do we see the light of the world? Is the light we're really trying to live by actually darkness? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves and I'll, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us. May we see Jesus for who he really is. May we see the greater prophet, the, the word of God made flesh, resurrected from the dead. May we see and receive that sign that he loves us and has died for us. May we see the greater king, the king of kings, the embodiment and the source of wisdom. May we see the light of the world. And let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, in fact, haven't left us directionless. That you haven't left us in the dark. That you haven't left us without signs. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we, we uh, would be would just behold Jesus, that we'd see Jesus, that his light would flood into us and, and, and just flood the, the, the house of our hearts, as it were, 
and that his light would then pour out of us to those around us. Uh, Father, I, I just want to pray right now for uh, especially any of my brothers and sisters who are feeling directionless or feeling like they're in the dark. Uh, Father, I pray that you would shine brightly into their lives. Father, I pray for anyone who, who doesn't know you yet, that they would see the light of the world, that they would see the sign of Jonah, the resurrected word of God, that they would see the sign of, the, of, of, 